You know, I say that a lot because I really do believe that is that we should never, ever take this word for granted. It, it is so important. The fact that God has chosen to speak and the fact that we so many times tune him out and, and yet we've, we've got his book, his written word just right here in front of us. We should never, ever take that for granted. I, I just, that is so important to me and I, I just have that on my mind quite often. The other thing that, that I guess that I think about a lot is um, something in particular recently that I've been thinking about a lot is this idea of being self-aware. Um, I don't know if that's the right term. I don't know if in psychology terms that's what it's called. But when I think of the word self-aware, I just think about what I am prone to do. If I give myself free reign, what I am prone to do, what my flesh will naturally do if I just say, okay, you do what you want to do. You go your way. You do your thing. This is the direction I will go automatically. And I, I, I want to be aware of that. I want to know what my natural tendencies are. Don't you want to kind of know that about yourself? Don't you want to kind of know, kind of, if, if, if I just choose to let myself go and I just, I have my own will and do my own things, this is the direction that I will head. Don't you kind of want to know? Because that way, if you kind of know what your natural tendencies are, then you'll, you'll know, is that the way that I'm supposed to be? Or am I just going with the way I naturally am geared or am I actually going the way God would have me to live? Okay, so, so here's a big like $50 million, $50 trillion question, all right? So let's say that you've got a genie in a bottle and you have got the magic lamp in your hand and you don't have three wishes, you've got unlimited wishes, right? All right, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's good now. Okay, so happy birthday, all right? So you have got a, a magic lamp and, and you can have whatever you want. You can have whatever you want, whoever you want, anything that you want. I mean, it's, it's yours. I mean, like you have got the golden ticket. I mean, Willy Wonka has invited you to the chocolate factory. I mean, you, you have got the access to whatever you want. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you would be happy? Do you think that you would make good decisions for yourself? My life would be a wreck, y'all. I'm talking about it would be so jacked up. I mean, like, I, I just, I can't imagine if I could have anything I wanted at my disposal anytime I wanted. I just got that magic lamp. I just rub it. And I ask and, and boom, you know, Robin Williams pops out and asks me what I want. You know, like, I cannot imagine how destructive I would be to myself. You know why? Because that's my natural tendency. That, that's the way I, I'm wired naturally is, is to, to make bad decisions for myself. I mean, really, really. I mean, it, it, I think in my mind, I have this idea in my mind that, that, that I'm going to do things that's going to make me happy. I'm going to do things that's going to make things better for me, right? Like we think that that's, well, why wouldn't I want that, right? I'm going to do things that's going to be better for me. Well, what's the problem with that? This, the fact that we're made out of flesh and blood, and we don't have the capabilities of making those decisions of what really is best for us. You ever had God like impress upon your heart that you were supposed to do something? And you're like, well, that's, that's going to be awkward. That's not going to be pleasant. That's, that's not going to feel good. But God, this is what you're calling me to do. And, and yeah, yeah, this is exactly. But, but I don't think that's going to be good for me because I'm not going to feel good while I'm doing that. And I'm not really sure that that's, that's what I want to do. But ultimately, let me tell you, if you're searching for true happiness, true joy in your life, true contentment in your life, it will not come through what you want for your life, but through what God wants for your life. 
That's the only way it will come because you know what? He's so much smarter than us. I mean, I know that sounds crazy for Kenny to get up here and say, God is so much smarter than us, but think about who do you listen to more, you or God? You know, if you got two people that are really smart, wouldn't you listen to the smarter one? But how often do we not do that? We don't listen to God because that's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to do what we want, what makes us feel good at that moment, and then we think, well, that's what's going to make us happy. It's wrong, y'all. It's just, it's wrong. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, it's just wrong. So why don't we listen to him more and do what he says more? Why don't we do that? Uh, it's a lot of times it's because we can't see him. He's not, he's not there. Like if he was like your best friend and he was like 12 foot tall, I imagine he would be a big dude. You know what I mean? Like God, he'd be really big. Don't you think? He'd be like Goliath size. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, he, he'd be like, he'd lean over to whisper to you and stuff, you know? He'd be like, you know, hey, what you're doing right now, it's not so good. It's not so good. You need to do something else. It's not going to turn out good in the long run. He'd be like, yeah, man, if I could just have him walk around with me. Can you imagine how much better my decisions would be if he would just whisper in my ear? You know, like, like you got like, like, like the, the old school Tom and Jerry cartoons. You got the angel on one side and the devil on the other. And they're like whispering in your ear or whatever. Sometimes I feel like that's my life, don't you? But could you imagine if God's right there holding your hand, walking beside? That's not going to be good, man. That's not going to be. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, that was good. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, every once in a while you'd run across something. Hey, you did a good job there. You know, for me it'd be once a month, maybe. Right. But I, I think that that if if we were to pause for just a minute and and we were to be self-aware, we'd recognize that God's way is truly better. Ultimately, His plan is truly superior to ours. It says in God's word that his way is higher than our ways. But because of our pride, because of our natural tendencies, and to think to ourselves that my way is better, I know what is better, because of that, then we end up leading ourselves down a wrong path, a bad path, a path of destruction. You see, in the book of Esther, the the, the name Esther means truly something hidden. That's what it means. And we don't see God's name mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. You don't see it mentioned anywhere in there. But what you see is the hand of God on absolutely everything. You see God constantly at work. God's constantly right there within their presence. And he's constantly shaping and molding and whispering. And to those that respond to him, things work out well. To those that don't respond to him, things do not work out so well. People that are overtaken by their pride, overtaken by their natural tendencies, it ends up to be destruction for them, and that's what we see. And why do we see that? It's because God's handiwork is all through this, this book. He, although he is hidden, he is there. And that's the reality. That's the reality. And we need to be, and people that, that come to a church on Sunday mornings, we need to be self-aware, and we need to know what our natural tendencies are. And we need to know that naturally speaking, we will be very prideful people and we will always assume that our way is better than God's way. We need to know that about ourselves. So let's look for just a minute at what can happen to people that are prideful, but people that are consumed by their pride. Let's, Let's look and see what happens. So here we are in the story. Esther's become queen of Persia. King Xerxes is the king. He's got a right hand man. His name is... Haman, somebody whispered that. Thank you, Holly, for whispering that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so out of about 200 people, we had one that's been listening for six weeks. It's all right. No, I'm, not, 
I'm not offended by that at all. It's okay. We've only been in the book of Esther six weeks now. So, uh, so anyway, so Haman's a bad guy, right? So he's Xerxes' right-hand man. He's been elevated to a lofty place. Esther has a cousin whose name is? Thank you. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Somebody else has been listening. That was like three people. So, so anyway, so we got, we got Esther. We got Xerxes, we got Haman, we got Mordecai. Mordecai's the good guy, right? So he's Esther's cousin, helped raise her because, you know, her family was, died off and, and she was orphaned and, and they were living in exile in Persia. And so uh, Mordecai's there to take care of her and he's constantly feeding her information. She becomes queen of Persia. Um, we won't go through all that again, how she did that. But anyway, so she's now queen of Persia. What happens? Well, Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, says, I'm not going to bow down and worship Haman, the bad guy, when he comes by. I'm just not going to do that. I worship one true God, and that's like over the top for me. I'm not going to do that. So Mordecai says, I know what we'll do on March the 7th of next year is that we will kill all the Jews. We'll get rid of Mordecai along with all the Jews. Well, what does that mean? That means that Esther has got to die too, and the king ultimately makes that decree and says, this is what's going to happen. Haman asked. They said, okay, well, that's what's going to happen. All the Jews are supposed to be killed on March the 7th of next year. And, and, and Haman is just a bad dude. And the reason Haman is a bad dude is because his pride has taken over with him. His pride has consumed him. He is all about Haman. I want to throw something up. This is, this is a laundry list, okay? And I'm, I'm going to talk about pride for just a second here. Um, in my studies in this particular passage, I, I ran across this, and I thought it was so good I had to share it with you. So this is written by an anonymous uh, um, writer. So this is one of those things that you would see on Pinterest or, or Instagram. So th- go ahead and put it up there, Brett. How to be perfectly miserable, <laughs> right? <laughs> Here are your bullet points. If you want to be miserable, this is how you do it, okay? We're going to go through these real quick. I'll read them real quick to you. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinions of others. Listen greedily to what people have to say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. There's a whole other page. It gets better. Never forgive a criticism. Trust no one but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown them. I like that one. I like the term sulk. You know, it's like bottom lip sticking out, right? Like, never forget a service you may have rendered. Be on the lookout for a good time for yourself. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. Love yourself supremely and be selfish. That's a good list. If you want one of those, we can post it on Facebook for you or something. You can say, I want to be miserable. Kenny, please tell me how to do it. This is how you do it. And what does it all boil down to? It boils down to pride and that very last thing, be selfish. When it is all about you, when it is all focused on you, that will lead to total misery. That's why Jesus says they will know you're my, you're my disciples by how you love one another. If you're so inwardly focused on just yourself, then you're obviously not a follower of Jesus. And if God's way is truly the best way, if God's way is truly the way that will lead you to happiness, then obviously when Jesus says you got to love one another, then you know what we should do to be happy? We should love one another and not be so prideful and selfish. It's just what he says, man. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't twist it. I can't make it say something else. If you want to be miserable, be selfish. 
you want to be miserable, focus on yourself and yourself alone. And this is exactly what we find in Haman's case. Now, his misery is going to lead to some physical problems for him. So what has happened here is that, that uh, Haman, Esther has decided that she's going to tell the king that, hey, I'd really like for you to reverse this law where you've decreed that everybody's going to die on March the 7th. That's a Jew. I'd really like for you to reverse that. But she goes to him. She gets invited by him, which is not something that's very common. It could have meant her life, but she recognized that God has called her to this, so she did it anyway. Invites him over for dinner. Her, uh, him, King Xerxes, and Haman over to dinner. And they're, they're there hanging out, and she's like, my request is that you come back for another banquet, another meal. We hang out again sometime. And Haman's like, oh, yeah, I am the man. You know what I mean? I'm hanging out with the king and the queen. I, it's, it's about me, man. I Look at me. And he goes, and he, he's talking to his boys back home and his wife back home. And he's like, look at what I got going on. I am the man here in Persia. I am the Persian man. So anyway, y'all like the way I'm the Persian man, you know. Anyway, so... <laughs> I say some stuff. I'm like, did he really say that? But anyway, so, so he, he's, he's coming out of there. He's just had dinner. He's all full and probably a little bit drunk, and he comes out, and there's Mordecai. Oh, man, I was all feeling good about me, and then there's Mordecai, and he don't want to bow down to me. He don't want to worship me. He says, you know what? I'm going to have that dude killed, and, and his wife and his boys are like, yeah, that's what you should do. You should, you should ask the king to have him killed. That's what you should do. Well, the problem is, is that, that, that there was a time way back when, 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 when Mordecai actually saved the king's neck. There was a plot to kill the king, and, and Mordecai called him out on it and told the king about it and said, hey, they're trying to kill you. And the king didn't really make a big deal out of it. You know, he kind of forgot about it a little bit. But here, here Haman's like, I'm fixing to go to the king tomorrow, right before the banquet, when I'm supposed to hang out with the king and queen again. I'm going to go to I'm going to ask you, we're going to erect this huge pole, 75 foot high, and we're going to stick Mordecai right up on the top. We're going to impale him with that pole, and we're going to kill him, and I'm going to go to the king tomorrow and ask for this. Now, it may seem like, all right, God, where are you at? What are you doing? I see that Esther's the queen, and she's a Jew, but we're supposed to be, the Jews are supposed to be exterminated. This, this ain't setting up real good. You know, hey, God, where are you at? Why? Why is all, and Mordecai is fixing to die. He's supposed to be stabbed with a pole. Like, where, where are you at? What are you doing, God? Where, I know you're hidden. Okay, let's see your hand at work here. Well, you remember when, when, when Esther like, said, okay, let's wait 24 hours and have another little banquet. I want you to know that God was at work in that. When it was supposed to be March 7th, when they cast lots to figure out when the Jews were supposed to die, when that was supposed to happen, God was at work in that. God was the one orchestrating that. So all of these other things could happen so that the timing could line up in such a way that you would see God's glory. That you would see God's glory. So let's look at what happens here. So, so they, they've already had one banquet. Queen asked them to come back for another. So, so the king goes back, but, but he, he has trouble sleeping. It says... Ezra chapter 6 verse 1 says this, that night the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so he could read, read it to him, so it could be read to him. In those records he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, the two eunuchs who guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we give Mordecai for this, the king asked. The uh, attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. All right, so, so the king has problems sleeping. 
Who do you think caused the king to have problems sleeping that night? You think maybe the God that never sleeps had, problem, had, had caused the problem sleeping that night? I think probably so. So the king's restless. I understand what it's like to have insomnia. You know, he can't, he can't find the right position. He's rolling around in his big plush bed. He's probably got some kind of nice um, serta. Maybe, you know, probably got some sort of pillow top on there. I mean, I'm sure it's really nice. Uh, probably got a memory foam pillow. You know, he still can't get comfortable. He can't sleep, right? So, so, so what does he do? He said, y'all bring me some history books. That'll put me to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> so they bring out the scrapbooks, right? So he's like, he's like, I know what will make me feel better. Let me, let me, let me gloat a little bit. Look, I got a whole kingdom. It's been like 12 years now. He's been ruling and reigning in Persia. And he's like, let me just flip through, see all the good that's happened. Look at me. I'm big and bad. Oh, look, here's me and Haman over here. We're in front of the Grand Canyon. Look at that right there. That's pretty cool. So anyway, so he's flipping through the history books and the scrapbooks and and, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to put his mind at ease. Maybe he can go back to sleep in a little bit. And then he runs across this story. He's like, I forgot about this story. This is a story when, when Mordecai actually thwarted the plot of Big Thane and Teresh that were trying to kill me. So, hey, what did we ever do for that dude? That's a big deal, man. Like, like that's a big deal that, that he, he saved my neck that time. What did we ever do for him? And the attendant said, well, we didn't do anything for him. He's like, we do what? We didn't do anything for him. So imagine this. I mean, like, you think God's not at work sometimes in your life, and I want you to know that, that, that he really is, that he's doing stuff you can't see, and he's impacting things that you have no idea that he's impacting, right? He's constantly doing things behind the scenes, and we have no idea. But I want you to understand that it is so important that we listen to God about the little bitty details in our life, about the fact that we're supposed to have a banquet 24 hours from now and not right away. And I'm not supposed to ask the king right now. I mean, that's what's going on with Esther, right? Well, there may be little things in your life where God's showing you just little bitty, teeny tiny things to do right now, right here. And, and you need to understand, you need to listen to those things. I did two things yesterday that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was doing what God had called me to do. Now, I'm not going to talk about them in front of you guys right now because God has told me not to. But, but I did, the first thing, I, I mean, I, I, was, I, I was in Golden Springs and God told me to do something, so I went and did it. And when I got done, I, I, I went and I had talked to, to, to a couple of people and I knew for, without a shadow of a doubt that those were the, the two people that I was supposed to, to show them that God was at work in my life. And I, I was able to do that because when I pulled up and I saw their faces, I was like, that, that's the reason I was supposed to be here at this time and at this place. And that was exactly why I was there. And I just, I knew it because after I left, after I left, I just wept because I could feel the presence of God. It says, I, you know, in my life, I mess up so many times and I do so many things that are against God's will. Those few times that I actually do something I feel like God's called me to do, I just break down because I can just imagine what it would be like to hear God in my ear saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. I, I just, I, just to imagine that for just a moment and I just broke down and I wept because of that. So I did this one thing and then, and then so I got in a, a parking lot and, and, and then it got hard, y'all. <laughs> Then it got hard because he challenged me to go the next step, the extra mile to the next level, and there was something else I had to do, and, and I did that too. And to my knowledge, so far, I haven't seen the fruit of that yet, but all I know is that that's what God told me to do. I was in this place of, of, of listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what God had told me to do, and I was doing that. And it was little things, y'all. It started out as, as little things, and it got harder. 
It started out pretty easy, and then it got harder. But it just in the whole time, I could sense the presence of God. And God leads us in those little things. And I want you to know today that, that just because you don't see the fruit right now, just because you may not see the evidence of what God has called you to do and you're responding to that, that doesn't mean that it didn't accomplish something. Because I promise you that it did. If God is truly hidden, then sometimes the works of God are hidden for a little while. And we may not see the fruit of that, maybe not in a year, maybe not in two years, maybe not within our lifetime, but when God calls us to do something, We need to listen, listen to that voice, and we need to respond and be obedient. Because we see right here, we see how how God's doing something. The king can't sleep. He says, I need to honor Mordecai in some way. This is cool. This is really cool what happens next. He goes, in verse 4, he says, who is in the outer court? So the king's looking for some way to to, uh, honor Mordecai. He's like, man, who's out there in the, who's out there in the court? I need, I, need, I need their input on this. I need them to help me out with honoring Mordecai in some way. Who's out there in the court? Who's out there? In, who, who is that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. That's good timing, y'all. That's good timing. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is in the outer court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, what should I do in order to honor a man who truly pleased me? Can you think of a better candidate for this question than old Haman? This is a good soap opera, y'all. Like, this is good, right? Like, y'all been hanging on, like, week after week. Like, this is getting good. I know, right? It's good stuff in here. So, anyway, so, I mean, like, the king's like, oh, man, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And, and, and who's out there? Because I, I need somebody to help me out with this thing. And uh, they're like, well, well, Haman's out there. Why did Haman come early? Do you know why Haman, Haman came early? Because he was going to ask the king to kill Mordecai, Right? You talk about an on-time God, this is good stuff, man. Like, like, this is really good. He comes early to ask the king to kill Mordecai. The whole time, God's at work in the background going, no, we're going to honor Mordecai. We're going to honor Mordecai. So he, says, so he says, what do we do to somebody who really pleases me? Well, what does a selfish, prideful person think immediately? Well, he must be talking about me. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I'm at the top of your list, so somebody that pleases you, that must be me, right? And he's grinning. I mean, I just, yeah, I can see him with an Eddie Murphy smile, you know. He's just grinning. He's like, Haman thought to himself, because God knows everybody's thoughts. It's recorded here. Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? I mean, like, I'm the man. Why would he not honor me? So this is good. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, you know, I can just see him with a smirk on his face. Well, if the king wants to honor somebody, you know, he's like, if he just wanted to honor somebody, this is what I would do. He said, bring out one of the king's uh, own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, Uh, one with the royal emblem on its head. Like, he's getting specific now, right? Like. I need a special horse, you know what I mean? Like, let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. 
Let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Can you not hear his enthusiasm? I mean, he's like jumping up and down on his tiptoes. Like, he is excited. He's, uh, if this is what the king wants to do to honor somebody, this is what I think we should do. He even brings somebody to walk along beside the horse and shout. You know what I mean? Like, that's just hilarious to me, y'all. He has no idea what is going on here, who he's really talking. He thinks he's talking about himself. This prideful jerk thinks he's talking about himself. It turns out that it's about Mordecai, the dude that he hates so much. So the king is, he's enthused too. He's pumped. He's like, excellent. He's like Bill and Ted, right? Excellent. Quick, take the robes and my horse and just do as you have said for Mordecai. Can you imagine this look on his face? That's what it was right there. It's like. It's, and y'all don't read this book. This is good, man. Do what you've said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. <laughs> He's like, he even goes on to describe who Mordecai is. You know the dude that sits at the gate? Do you know who Mordecai is? Let me, let me tell you about that Jew. <laughs> Haman's like, yeah, I know who he is. As a matter of fact, there's a pole erected in his honor. <laughs> I was going to come talk to you about, but I guess that's, I guess we're going to scratch that plan for a minute. <laughs> I, can you imagine the look on that dude's face? Sorry, I just can't help but to pause and just laugh at that for a minute. He says, hey, do everything you just said. Do that for Mordecai. Oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> so Haman uh, took the robes and put them on Mordecai. I imagine that was a happy day for him, don't you? Here's your robe, man. Placed him on the king's own horse, led him through the city. <laughs> square shouting <laughs> so so who's got to do the shouting <laughs> yeah it's Haman who else to do it besides the king's right hand man right I know who will get to do the shouting I got an idea is this not the perfect example of, of God using those that are simple to shame the wise. You know what I mean? Those that think they've got it all figured out, think that, man, I have, I have got all this mess. I Look at me, look at me, look at me. And then God goes, no, 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 no. No, 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 you got it all wrong. I'm going to show you. I'm going to humble you. And it's going to be out, look at God, look at God, look at God. And that's how it's supposed to be in our lives. And if you let your pride well up, if you let your pride consume you, then exactly what you see here happening to Haman can happen to each one of us. And we got to be self-aware and we got to know that we're just as prone to this happening to us as Haman was. 
We like to laugh at Haman, and I love to laugh at Haman too when I read this story. But at the same time, I'm looking, I was like, dude, that could be me in a second. You know, if I'm not self-aware, if I'm not paying attention to what I'm naturally prone to do, this could be me. Because I can imagine me standing there going, yeah, if you want to honor somebody, let me tell you how to do it. And God would say, oh, but you got it all wrong. Led him through the city square shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. Now, look what, look what Mordecai did. Mordecai just goes back to his job, right? You would think that after riding on the king's horse and wearing the king's robes, man, I'd go take another victory lap, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd be strutting around town going, that was me a minute ago on the horse, in case you were wondering. Yeah. That dude that was shouting, he was shouting about me. Yeah, I'm Mordecai. How you doing? Or maybe, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I should probably go sit down now. So, so what does he do? It's, it's because, I mean, he's not prideful. He's not consumed with himself. He just goes back to his job at the palace gate. Well, what, let's see what let's see what old Haman does when he goes home, right? Tail tucked between his legs a little bit. I'm sure you know he's dejected and completely humiliated. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and wife—I <laughs> love the fact they call him wise. So just a minute ago, they told him, "You need to impale." Mordecai on a pole, make it 75 foot tall, and you need to stick him on the top of it. Now, all of a sudden, their wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Turns out they kind of are wise, right? This, this is not going to work out for you, man. This is not a good time to go tell the king you want to kill him. It's not, you know, you know how you just led him around the town on a horse and was shouting how awesome he is? It's probably not a good time for you to go to tell the king that we should stick him on a pole. The timing's not good, bro. Timing's not good at all. Rethink this one. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Man, it, it's good, and it? It just keeps getting better, and we, we read about it, and we read about it, and we're like, man, I can't wait till next week. Hopefully, you'll come back next week for more of the story, right? Chapter 7 next week, in case you're wondering where we'll be, you know? So what do we see here? What do we see here? We see a man consumed with his own pride. He, he's, I, I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, one day I'll be king you know what I mean? Like one day, King Xerxes is going to look for somebody to, to take that spot. It's already evident that he's already, anytime somebody wants to be honored, he assumes it's about him. So if somebody's going to take the king's spot one day, it's going to be him. And I think that he is to the point, really, where he thinks he's invincible. You know what I mean? Where he thinks he can't be touched, that, that nothing's, nothing's bad going to become of him. And I think he's so consumed with himself, he can't see the good in this man Mordecai that is just simply there doing his job. And yes, he chooses not to bow down to Haman, but that's just who he is, man. That's the God that he serves, and that's what he cares about the most. But all Haman can see is himself and the way that, that Mordecai 
treats him, and that's all he's worried about. He continues in his own mind to elevate himself. He continues to press himself up and up and up. And what is that going to do? It's going to ultimately lead to his own misery and destruction. And we have to be self-aware, y'all. We have to know that we are that far away from that very same thing happening to us. There is an evil presence in this world that wants to encourage us to do those very things that we know we know that we should not do that takes us further away from God, further away from our contentment, further away from our love for other people that takes us away from those things. And Satan really a lot of times doesn't have to do much work. All he has to do is, is just like step out of the way. And what do we do? We take the reins for ourselves. And we, 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 get, we, we, we start knitting our own gallows together, right? We start making our own rope to hang ourselves with. We start doing it on our own. Sometimes Satan just has to step out of the way. There are other times when Satan orchestrates things around us, sets things up in such a way that all we have to do is take a step off the wrong way and and all of a sudden we're sliding down a slippery slope and we're in this place that we never intended to be. We are all that close every single day to being exactly, exactly like Haman. You see, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not before, but did you know that, that God gave the angels free will. Did you know that? that that's, that's where Lucifer, Satan, that's where he came from. They, they had free will. They had the option to choose to love and serve God or to not, not to. And the son of the morning star, named Lucifer, he chose not to. And I want to read to you in, in Isaiah exactly, exactly what it says in Isaiah 14 about how Lucifer got consumed with himself and ultimately wanted to raise himself to the place of God and then the destruction that befell him as a result of it. Let's read this in Isaiah 14. Beginning in verse 12, it says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning, You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be like the most high. Now you say to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like something I would ever say to God. That doesn't sound like something I would ever, ever get in the face of God and say, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to set my throne above your stars in heaven. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to be at a higher place than you ever, you ever could imagine being God. I'm going to do that. You say, I would never say that to God. I would say this. I'd say we say it every single day. We say it every single day, every single time we say, I'm going to choose my way, my path, my natural tendencies, the desires that that I have for me that I think will make me better. Every single time we do that, that's exactly what we're saying. God, not your way, but my way. Not thy will, but my will. You're saying, I will elevate myself to the place of God and I will do what I choose to do. That's what we do. We got to be self-aware. We got to know. That that's what we're going to do if we allow ourselves to have that genie in the bottle that we just rub and we say, if I get to choose my way, this is what I'll have. I want you to understand 
It's devastating. It's devastating. This angel that had this choice of whether or not to love and serve God, he chose instead to try to elevate himself and to rule and reign. And what happened? He got kicked out of heaven, thrown down to earth. And yes, indeed, he does, he does rule here on this earth. And there are things that he's capable of, of doing, but not outside of the very hand of God. God allows him to. It's the only way he's able to. And we see that in the next book of this, this Bible that we have, in the book of Job. We see that constantly Satan's have to go, having to go to God and ask him if he can do this, asking him if he can do that. I want you to understand something. Ultimately, ultimately, God wins. The one whose plan is perfect, his plan prevails. And God wins and Satan is cast out. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made, made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? Let me look at it's Satan and, and the destruction he was able to cause. And, and he's going to look so small and so insignificant compared to the power and the glory of God. Because God's ultimately going to win and God's ultimately going to destroy evil forever. And you're like, man, I can't wait for that day to come. I can't wait for the day where I don't have to worry anymore about this sinful flesh and the natural tendencies I have. Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we got one voice we can listen to. One, one voice that speaks truth. One, one voice that is truly wise. And that's the voice of God. And maybe you haven't been responding to that voice. And maybe you haven't been closely listening to what he's been saying. I challenge you today. Ask him today to open your ears. Open your heart. To listen to his voice and his voice alone. Tell him that you recognize that, that his is the only way. His is the only way that leads to peace and contentment. And, and you want to follow his way and not your own way. Confess that to him. Be open and honest about the things that you have done that have been against God when you've chosen your own way and you've not chosen to follow God. Confess that to him. Because there's a certain amount of liberation, a certain amount of setting free that comes when you say, you know what, God, I can't do this alone. And I need you, and I need you, and I know that your power is the only way I'm be able to wage war against this flesh. Will you come and confess that to him today? Will you openly acknowledge the fact that you need him and you need him desperately, that you can't battle this, this war against the flesh on your own? And I, I know that, that people are like, I can't very well go down there and pray what will people think about me? What will they think about the, the times I've said yes to my flesh and no to God? What will they think about me? You know what they'll think? I'll tell you exactly what they'll think. I need to be doing that. I wish I had that kind of courage. I wish I had that kind of boldness to say that I need God in order to be able to wage war against the things that I naturally tend to do. Maybe we'll have some leaders. Maybe we'll have some examples that will come down here and say, you know what? I struggle and it's hard and I need Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for challenging us today, for opening our eyes the way that you can. God, I thank you for the testimony of Mordecai, Lord, and, and how he was just able to be humble before you. And because he was humble before God, you were constantly working in his life, even though he cannot, you cannot be seen, Lord. 
I pray that we recognize that today, that even though there are times in our life, God, where you cannot be seen, you are constantly at work. Father, we need you. We need you. We don't have the strength, and we can't, we can't face the battles. God, we, we can't go to battle apart from you, so Lord, I pray that we wouldn't. I pray, God, that we'd recognize every single day of our lives you're standing right alongside of us, and you're right there holding our hands. And as we go to battle, Father, you're right there with us. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray that we'd submit to you, respond to you, and God, we'd, we'd go to war today against our flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?